Welcome. Welcome. Or should we say, who are? <laughs> it's the uh, West Country special. It's a West Country special. Um, and if I say the words West Country to you, mm. what do you what do you think? What do you think? What's you, what's it evoking uh, in, in your mind? Home as a West Country boy. Yeah, born and raised. Uh, You're a Somerset guy. Somerset guy. Uh, lived most of my life in Somerset and a little bit of Wiltshire. Yeah. Um, I'm a Wiltshire guy. You're a Wiltshire guy. Some people think Wiltshire doesn't count as the West Country, but uh, Wilt- those people are cowards. I, I believe Wiltshire does, but Herefordshire doesn't. That's where I draw the line. Herefordshire, definitely. Well, people say that it does in Gloucestershire. Does, does Gloucestershire? I think it does. Uh, it doesn't. The, does it? Bristol, the South the bit, Midlands. The bit of Gloucestershire that is... Bristol, I would say, does. Well, yeah, because Bristol's like the capital of the West Country. Yeah, but as soon as you get north of <laughs> Bristol into the rest of Gloucestershire, I'm set. Like, Gloucester? No. No. South Midlands. Yeah. North of the M4, basically, is the barrier. Um, according to a 2019 YouGov survey, <laughs> 72% of respondents considered Cornwall and Devon to be in the West Country. Yes, correct. 70% included Somerset. Six. What's wrong with the th- other thirty <laughs> percent? People don't know maps. Right. Sixty-nine percent uh, included Bristol. Only fifty-five percent included Dorset. Uh, people only, just haven't heard of, don't know a Dorset. Only twenty-eight percent included Wiltshire. People are idiots. They're just wrong. They're plain wrong. Like yeah. Um, but anyway, Somerset definitely is. Somerset's the, the heart of the West Country. Cheddar. Cheddar. The home of cheese. The home of cheese. and home, this, I'd say it's the world's most famous cheese. It's it? not only the world's most famous cheese, it's, according to uh, the US government, the world's most popular cheese. Well, I mean, we talked about the farce that is American cheddar. Yeah, it's a disgrace. Uh, yes, and it accounts for a whopping 51% of the British cheese market. So, I'm surprised huge. not more than that. I suppose well, if you take on all other cheeses, yeah, all other cheeses, the majority cheese, the majority cheese. In the US, surprisingly, even though the US government says it's the world's most popular cheese, and the these surveys might have been done at different times, but in 2014, uh, it was the second most popular cheese in the US. Behind, do you want to take a guess? Is it like Monterey Jack or something? <laughs> no, it's mozzarella. <laughs> Oh, right. Pizzas. Okay. Of course. Yeah, they love yeah. a pizza over there. The pizza vote. Yeah. Um, I've got a good West Country Wiltshire fact about mm. cheese. Uh, Devizes, which is the town where I grew up, sort of nearest town to where I grew up. Um, people from Devizes are called, and you may know this word if you're a fan of <laughs> the James Bond franchise, <laughs> Moonrakers. Yes. Um, Were they named that before or after the Ian Fleming? Roger Moore. Roger Moore. film. <laughs> <laughs> Later film. Um, I think before. Here's why. Story goes... I mean, any West Country listeners will know this already. But um, So, devices lay on the route between the coasts, the smuggler's route between the coasts and the interior, the country. And... Um, People, there's a pond in Devizes called the Crammer, mm. and people would hide contraband goods 
under there, under the water, and then take him out, you know, under cover of darkness. One night, um, some coppers came and caught people trying to get stuff out from under the water. And they said, what are you doing? And um, they played the West Country yokel act (laughs) and said, we're trying to rake um, that piece of cheese. And they pointed at the reflection of the moon in the (laughs) surface of the water. And the police thought, the police fell for it. Yeah. Sinker. Well, yeah, too right. Yeah. And the, Moonrakers now is used as a um, pejorative term for supporters of Swindon Town FC. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a compliment. It's something to be proud of, yeah. yeah. Tricking the law. Yeah. Um, sadly, I would say for the good people of Somerset, cheddar is not protected as a name, unlike many other forms of cheese. Um, which means that's why you get all those yeah. bastardizations, such as American cheddar, which is nothing like British cheddar. Um, What's the rule? It has to be called farmhouse cheddar. Yeah, they call it West Country farmhouse cheddar, and that means it can only be uh, produced uh, in Devon, Somerset, Dorset, and Cornwall using milk from those com- from those counties. But uh, the slow uh, food movement says that that doesn't go far enough. Um, and that they should make something called uh, original cheddar, which can only be made in Somerset. Yeah. Which I agree with. I agree. So up the slow food movement. Um, but apparently, according to their... Uh, there's other stringent laws laws they have around it. But according to that, there's only three cheeses that would be counted as original cheddar by that definition. Right. There's a lot more in the West Country Beyond. farmhouse cheddar right. situation. Yeah. Um, I think it should just be extended to a, a general West Country. It has to be from the West Country. has to be from the West Country. And not yeah. just West Country cheddar doesn't go far enough. It no. should be just any... If you call it cheddar, yeah. it has to be from southwest England. Yes, not Gloucestershire. Not Gloucestershire. <laughs> Although, Gloucestershire is the site of one of... Well, I'd, I'd say probably the world's greatest cheese event. Yes, indeed. Which we had the privilege to attend in mm. 2019 I think yeah um, has been on since then but it was cancelled in 2020 and 2021 I should say I'm talking about the uh, cheese rolling yeah on Cooper's Hill is it yeah Cooper's, Cooper's Hill, Hill cheese rolling where um, well okay the format is thus <laughs> so it's a big hill um, and every May a seven to nine pound, that's three to four kilogram, wheel of double Gloucester cheese is sent rolling down the hill, um, which is 200 yards long. Competitors then start racing down the hill after the cheese. The first person over the finish line at the bottom of the hill wins the cheese. Um, the competitors aim to catch the cheese. However, it has a one second head start and can reach speeds of up to 70 miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> enough to knock over and injure a spectator. Um, so it's it's physically impossible for a human to catch the cheese. Yeah, and we've witnessed this event, as you said. Yeah. It's an extremely steep and dangerous hill, and it's not so much of a chase as a tumble, and these people launch themselves off the top of the hill and it's essentially... Painful to watch. By about the third or fourth pace, they have lost control of their legs and are essentially... It's like ragdoll. <laughs> like a ragdoll yeah. after the cheese. It is brutal 
to watch. Like it, it really you know, is. People will get seriously injured, you know, broken legs, broken arms, broken backs, necks, etc. And there's a whole like caravan of ambulances waiting at the <laughs> yeah. bottom of the hill. And they tried to ban it multiple times. Yeah. the authorities, but people just, you know, you can't stop someone going up a hill and chucking a cheese. Yeah, off exactly. I, th- I think um, 2011 was the year when it officially stopped being an official event. Yeah, but um, the people of Gloucestershire weren't having it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was saying they... 2021... 2020 and 2021, they cancelled the event due to COVID restrictions, but they did roll the cheese down anyway to <laughs> keep up tradition. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely mental. Yes. Uh, other strange West Country... Food events include Dorset knob throwing, <laughs> uh, in which a knob, that's K-N-O-B, mm. uh, which is like a traditional savoury biscuit, um, hard biscuit, mm. is hurled as far as possible. Mm. Um, the record throw um, was set in 2012, 29 metres Wow. 26 feet. That's a very long way to chuck Pretty good. Um, they must be going like side, do you reckon side? Yeah, like sc- stone skimming yeah. technique. Yeah. Um, other events on the day include knob painting, knob and spoon race, <laughs> guess the weight of the big knob, <laughs> knob darts, and of course knob eating. Oh. <laughs> um, however, tragedy struck the event in twenty nine in twenty twenty two because there was so much public interest, more than eight thousand people um attended the previous event and so they decided that because it's just run by a small village committee, they don't have the resources to do it anymore. Oh. So it's it's knobbed itself to death. <laughs> it's been too good. It's, it's too, too good for big its for its own good. <laughs> Um, and it's not been held since. Good God. That's a real shame. Yeah, it is. Um, other, I mean, not food related, but um, the International Festival of Worm Charming <laughs> is held <laughs> in the Devon town of Blackhorton every May Day. Probably one of the less weird things that happens across England on May Day, to be honest, but... Um, 37th Black Autumn Worm Charming event was held this year. Um, started back in 1983 um, when Dave Kelland and a mate of his had been imbibing ale in the Normandy <laughs> Arms on a wet and miserable Sunday afternoon. On the way home, Dave needed to relieve himself and did so in a field. Much to his surprise, worms started to come to the surface. Ooh. Having a fertile mind, uh, Dave realised there may be some mileage in making his ability to charm worms out of the ground a competitive event. <laughs> What? Um, it's made a festival that's gone on for yeah forty years. The thing I like about it is there's no like <laughs> there's absolutely no point about it or any weird like cultural associations. Just like we could make this into a competition. Are <laughs> having a piss on the field? Good luck to him. To be honest, yeah. Um, the West Country, of course probably most famously 
the home of cider. Indeed. We have a little bit of cider in front of us today. Just a bit. I've been on a one-man mission down to the West Country, hundreds of miles travelled to bring back cider from the source. Um, and there's there's only one place I would really go for a cider in the West Country, mm. and that's uh, Roger Wilkins, owner of Land's End Farm in Mudgley uh, yeah. in Somerset. He's a friend of the show. We've talked about Roger before. Mm. Um, he hit the headlines during COVID because he claimed his cider was a cure for COVID. Yeah, which he says it's got vitamins A, B, D, A, B, C, D and E and will cure COVID. And he also said it's melting the concrete underneath my cider uh, <laughs> <laughs> cider butts that he stores yeah. it in. So if it's going to melt concrete, it might it, as well it'll melt, melt COVID. But not your stomach lining. I'm looking at it now. It's got bits in it. It's got bits in it. I don't it's, know what that, it's that got is. It's bits of apple. 100% apple. Got to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, proudly, uh, 100% Apple, I was speaking Apparent. to uh, one of his employees and he was telling me the, the process behind it. Basically, they chuck a shitload of apples into a, what's called a scratter <laughs> that tears it apart and then they juice it yeah. and they ferment it. And be- it, true West Country cider, they don't have to add any yeast to it because the cider apples themselves have yeast in the skins. Oh, right. Okay. So that's how you can tell that if, it, if it's using proper raspberry cider apples, you won't need to add anything. Other types of cider obviously add yeast and so on. Right. The real deal. And what's the difference Nothing. between scrumpy and cider? Uh, scrumpy is basically real cider. It's, there's not, it's a type of cider right. that's made 100, generally 90% plus apples, they say, but in this case, 100%, no additives. Um, uncarbonated. Uncarbonated, flat. flat, warm. Yeah. It's, uh, opaque yeah um, opaque and sort of lurid lurid orange. it certainly has you know similar uh, notes on the eye to other to bodily liquids that could remain unmentioned but that kind of colour <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> certainly dehydrated dehydrated yeah um, it says only a mere 5% on the label but I, I have my well no it says 6% but uh, oh yeah I can't it's eyes, already made but, me turn blind <laughs> <laughs> but again talking to um, his employee on, on the weekend he said it's basically Six plus. Yeah. They don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it depends on the sugar content of the apples, and how much alcohol it's going to make. Um, they do make, they make three different versions of cider. They make dry, medium and sweet. And he was saying that all of it comes out dry. It, they make one product, basically. They ferment one product because... Obviously, the apple juice is sweet, but as you as the yeast ferments and turns it into alcohol, it turns the product dry. Mm. And then they make the sweet by adding um, saccharin sugar substitute into it. So they add five teaspoons per butt, which is basically one teaspoon per 100 litres. It's a very small amount of, of sweetener. And the reason they use artificial sweetener instead of sugar is because as soon as you put more sugar back in, it starts fermenting right, again right. and it'll be dry again within three days and it'll be three, four, five percent more because the, the yeast would have right. fermented all that into more alcohol. So basically it wouldn't make sense to use that. And the medium, they just make by mixing the two. Mixing the two together. Dry and sweet together. We saw him do it. Ian does that live in the... <laughs> yeah, he does it live from the... He offered it. He said to us when we went there, do you want dry or medium and um, dry or sweet and... Uh, I think at one point we had a medium and you just make, you just got half and half yeah. <laughs> mixing together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, Roger, in Roger's words, he said, 
I used to drink 16 to 20 pints a day. Never been ill. Never been bad. Full of goodness. <laughs> I drank cider ever since I was four or five years of age. Yeah. Grease is the ribs. <laughs> Cheese and cider. You won't beat it. <laughs> a lot of people say an apple a day. I'd rather drink a gallon of cider. There ain't no chewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that, well, that comes with the kind of lazy, fair attitude to life that got Roger, unfortunately, in a little bit of trouble with the law. So we mentioned he made yeah. headlines in uh, in 2020 claiming his side was a cure for COVID. Um, but early in 2021, when we were still in lockdown in the UK, he was actually raided because he was running his cider operation uh, during lockdown and giving out, running it as a tasting room, which it, it basically is a tasting room slash shop that you can take away bottles and so on. Um, but he was running the tasting room element during lockdown, which was in breach of lockdown laws at the time and had to pay a thousand pound fine so yeah that was you know yes again the government trying to take down a good old honest west country man i don't think roger's that motivated by money because this pay the system for payment when you order stuff from wilkins cider is they send it i mean they prefer you to just go in in person but you can get it like remotely but you have to phone them up and you place your order and then give them your details they send it by parcel force or this is true as well if you don't have cash when you go there. Mm. He, they just give you their bank details and then trust you to go home and yeah. transfer the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, crazy. Brilliant. Yeah. And he also does some fantastic cheese and pickled onions, which we've got a, yeah, small, let's have some. a small platter of. Um, cheddar cheese, of course. Mm. Mm. I'm a bit soft in the heat in the room, yeah. but it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't. Um, another good fact about cheddar is it's mm. aged traditionally in the caves of Cheddar Gorge isn't yes it? Cheddar Gorge one of the wonders of the West Country I would say it's a beautiful definitely place to drive up or down cycle at your peril climb if you're into that um, yep. it's phenomenal so there's one. There's only one Cheddar cheese company in Cheddar these days I think it's called the Cheddar Gorge Cheese Company right it's located actually within the town of Cheddar but yeah worth yeah. going to also the home of the Cheddar Man. You ever heard about him? No, no, I haven't. No, the Cheddar Man was a, a Neolithic man said to be one of the... Oh, yeah, they reconstructed his and, face. Yeah, and he was perfectly... Well, he was, his bones were preserved in the gorge. I don't know if he fell in there or if he got chucked in there after he died. Yeah. But they found him in there. He's kind of one of the earliest British skeletons that we have, basically. Yeah. Um... um. That reminds me, not to um, cast any aspersions by proxy on the Cheddar Man. Mm. Um, do you remember hearing about the Somerset Gimp? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, uh, I might have to just Google that because I haven't got any... I was still rumbling, rumbling on that story. Oh. Um, 18th of July this year. A man is to face trial accused of offences relating to reports of a person wearing a black gimp suit in two Somerset <laughs> villages. Um, female motorist driving at night reported to police they saw a man in a black costume. Yeah, sounds a bit dark, actually. <laughs> so it was, oh God, there's a picture of it. Yeah, it's really terrifying. So it looks like he's just wearing a gimp suit and would walk up to people in their cars and just, like, stand... Weird. Oh yeah. well. Um, in lighter news, <laughs> um, 
another great West Country drink. Although lots of people probably don't know it's from the West Country. Um, unless they're hot on their monasteries. Mm. Buckfast. Yes. Delicious. Um, so tonic wine. Yeah. Created by the monks of Buckfast Abbey in mm-hmm. Devon. Yeah, Devon. Yeah. Also known, well, it's, it's, it's associated um, with, can we say, Scottish ne'er-do-well culture? Yeah, I would say so. The, uh, or indeed, Ned culture. Ned culture, they call them. On the, uh, yeah, you know, it's cheap, you know, very, al- strong, very strong. Easy to drink. Easy to drink. Um, it's also known as wreck the hoose juice. <laughs> Commotion lotion. <laughs> Um, Bucky Baracus um, and a bottle of what the hell are you looking at <laughs> <laughs> it's also in the unofficial slogan Buckfast gets you fucked fast um, got some Bucky crime facts for oh you. yeah Buckfast had been mentioned this was in Strathclyde between 2006 and 2009 Buckfast was mentioned in 5,638 crime reports <laughs> Equating to an average of three per day. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, in 2017, Scottish police reported there had been 6,500 crimes related to the drink in the previous two years. One in ten of those had been violent, and 114 times in that period, a Buckfast bottle was used as a weapon. <laughs> and there was later a movement to have Buckfast only sell in plastic bottles. Ah, okay. Um, Did they do it? No. No. And <laughs> Those monks. What's more, <laughs> uh, I am obliged to add, the monks of Buckfast Abbey and their distribution partner, Jay Chandler and company, deny that the product is harmful, <laughs> stating that it's responsibly and legally enjoyed by the great majority of purchasers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these. I was weirdly talking to someone about this on Friday night who was down in the southwest with me, but he was from Glasgow, and he was telling me about a phenomenon called the Buckfast Triangle, which is <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, you know, the rhubarb triangle, say, in Yorkshire, or, you know, the Bermuda triangle in the sea. The sea. <laughs> uh, a triangle shape uh, where it's basically just known for a massive amount of the, the consumption of, of Buckfast. It's between uh, Airdrie, Coatbridge, and Belshill, um, which are sort of all kind of small towns on the outskirts of Glasgow. Um, Around kind of the, the you know the Strathclyde general area, um, yeah. and there's as you said, there's all in that area. There's vast amounts of crime all related to Buckfast consumption. Wow, I guess it's it's a similar ballpark to Special Brew, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's the Scottish answer to Special Brew in a way. Yeah, it's be- I suppose they have turbo tenants, don't they? Over there? They've or- got turbo tenants. Oh, super tenants. <laughs> super, ten- <laughs> turbo tenants is something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they also have Iron Brew. And if you mix, I don't know what it's called, but if you mix Iron Brew and uh, Buckfast together, now that's a real cocktail. I'll get you. I think Buckfast, I don't know if this is true, but like anecdotally has like eight times the caffeine than like Red Bull. It has eight times than a kind of Coke. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely um, bonkers. I read a good... Uh, an interesting thing as well about um have you heard of Van Mariani? No. Who is a I never even knew these were a thing, but there was a whole genre of drinks called coca wine, which was like nineteenth century. Farm when you could do stuff like this as a medical thing. Um 
pharmacist there, there was a it was a french chemist called angelo mariani he made a um wine infused with coca leaves and the ethanol in the wine <laughs> acts as a uh solvent and it brings the cocaine out of the um leaves oh my god <laughs> so it's got cocaine in it um and it was uh endorsed and enjoyed by popes leo the 13th and pius the 10th <laughs> Pope Leo appeared on a poster endorsing the wine and endor- and awarded it a Vatican gold medal to oh. so its creator, Ma- Mariani. Thomas Edison claimed it helped him stay awake longer. Yes, well, it, it, would, <laughs> it would do. Um, but, and I think this is quite a good move, actually, a bit of a power move from Angelo Mariani. He failed to pass the recipe down to his subsequent generations, so it went out of production after his death. Oh, well, that's probably for the best. One of the credit. Um... It was slightly remiss of us, slash just bad um, episode planning, mm. to stop talking about cider before we talked about scrumpy and western music. God, yes. That is, it's, you know, the national sound of the West Country, I would yeah. say. As performed by one band. As performed by <laughs> one band, and it's an entire genre of music that's named after one of their albums. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. What other band in the world can say that? Are there any others? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They're the only ones. We're talking, of course, about the Wurzels. The Wurzels, yes. The epitome of the West Country. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the Wurzels are fantastic. We, I believe, saw the Wurzels. It might have even been a knockoff version of the Wurzels on a night out in Bath once, and then there's about two other people Green Park Brasserie yeah. yeah was it I the real Wurzels tragically or? I think it was a Wurzels tribute it was a Wurzels tribute band um, for those of you who don't know the Wurzels I'd recommend I don't even know if they're on Spotify they'll certainly be on YouTube but they've got um, such classics as I've got a brand new Combine Harvester yeah um, just known as the Combine Harvester I guess I am a cider drinker yeah that's a big one um, drink up with thy cider yeah. Zyder being Somerset speak for cider. Um, and other such great names. <laughs> Farmer Bill's Cowman. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've boxed themselves in a bit, subject matter-wise. Yeah. It's got to be about rural life. Rural Somerset life. They can't really branch out that much. But sometimes you don't want people to branch out. The Combine Harvester was... A, no, a UK number one. Really? Yeah. Wow. That is mental. Um, it reached number one on the 12th of June, 1976, and stayed there for two weeks. Phenomenal. That's insane. That was probably the biggest impact Somerset's ever had on the rest of the UK music scene. Uh, yeah. Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> Apart from Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> Apart from Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's probably some Wurzels playing at uh, Wedmore Beer Fest, I imagine, where you, which you yeah. recently attended. Well, they didn't have any Wurzels. They had uh, they had very little Scrumpy and Western, sadly. I'm sure. I suppose it's beer-themed, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure they did have 20 ciders on offer alongside the 100 beers they were selling. <laughs> but they uh, they had weird bands. They had, like, your, your local kind of singer-songwriter, you know, 17-year-old person who you know just give them a give them a go kind of thing yeah, in yeah. the afternoon and then in the evening they had a killers tribute band um called the Brightside killers now i don't you know don't come at me if you know them but they were rubbish <laughs> um, 
And Imagine being a killer's tribute. I was band. That's exactly, just like these four people have decided that you know they they all enjoy playing musical instruments enough to form a band, but they don't know enough about music to like anyone better than the killers. It's absolutely insane. Terrible. So and the killers have like three good songs, but they you know or three famous songs, well known songs, and they just ruined all of them. Um, but it was very funny. Yeah. So there was that. I think he even tried a bit of an American accent, but that was betrayed later in the set where he went more into Somerset speak. Right. But yeah. yeah. Well, I saw um, at Glastonbury, speaking of Glastonbury mm. this year, I saw the bootleg Beatles. I've seen a couple yes. of times before. And they're and brilliant. They're fantastic. But it's confusing because they come on stage, like they're dressed as like the early Beatles. You know, the sort of grey mm. suits, mop tops and stuff. But then they stay in the same costumes for the whole set. But then they're... They do later on. The set list goes chronologically through to the end of the Beatles. When they so look it very seems different. weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but they like... They, they're, they're so... So they do impressions of them right down to like the stage patter and stuff. There's, there's a John, Paul, George and Ringo. And um, they even do little like impressions of like... Like... The one who plays George does like George used to do a thing where he like kicks his foot out of it when he's on. It's, and it's just like it's great, and I get it. You know, it's like acting or whatever, but it's yeah. just like I don't understand. Like, if you're into music, which you have to be to be able to play music properly, do they not like just not have a creative bone in their body? <laughs> maybe, not. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe they just think it's it's a quicker buck. I mean, the Bootleg Beach Stores are, are relatively successful. They are. They play a lot of festivals, a lot of events. I'm sure they're doing very they're like well. They're like a full-time touring band. Although, now, there's none of the original members. Oh. Because they've been around <laughs> for so long. Now, the original ones have all died or whatever. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, maybe for them, they'll get more success in that medium than they would yeah. as their own band. And this Killers band, it was the only band all weekend that actually had a crowd. Oh, really? People know the songs. People, the, people know the songs. The rest of the time, people are in the beer side of the tent, just smashing back pints. Smashing pints. The Wurzels stick to uh, pure West Country accents through and through. And uh, what I learned about when I was reading about the West Country and West Country accents for this is uh, actually most people think that like the West Country accent is a um, like a debasement of standard English, like it's standard English gone wrong, and they're saying... That's just classic London centrism. (laughs) It's classic London centrism, things things like Zomerset and Zyder and Ouar and uh, IB and uh, The Bist and stuff that... Saying Cheers Drive when you get off the bus. Cheers Drive when you get off the bus. Um, But actually, um, studies have been done into this, um, and a, a famous one was done in the 1970s, um, by Lieutenant Colonel J.A. Garton. Um, and he said that actually the dialect is not a, like a, a English spoken in like a slovenly or ignorant way. It's actually the remains of the oldest form of English in the court of King Alfred. Um, and Somerset ways of saying certain words are actually more correct traditionally than how they've kind of been corrupted into modern English and RP and so on. Um, so he says that um, if you look at the A's, it's quite often a clear giveaway, like the word uh, warm 
ha- the the A sound in warm actually is is more of an O sound. Yeah. Um, but Somerset people say it would say it with more of an A sound in that word, oh, right. like you know, warm. warm. Yeah, <laughs> which is actually more true to how it's spelled and how it would have traditionally been in, in older English. But interesting. Over the years, it's it's been translated down, or it's you know it's been corrupted down mm. into the way we would say warm today. Yeah. Um, they say, don't they, that like <clears throat> West Country accents are more still more similar to how like the pilgrims went to America for example would mm. have spoken which is why possibly why Americans have inherited some of those like rolling R's and everywhere yeah, so exactly. like West Country yeah rotic R's is, rotic is R's, really yeah. prevalent in in West Country English and American Canadian English but yeah. not so much in uh, received pronunciation RP. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, well we're, we were right all along Exactly. London was wrong. London was wrong again. Um, speaking of Southwest nationalism, <laughs> have you ever heard of Cornwall? <laughs> no. <laughs> probably the most, I'd probably fair to say Cornwall's the most sort of famous, iconic of the counties associated with the West Country. Yeah. In terms of having its own identity. Definitely. The Cornish. The Cornish. Yeah. Um, they're, well, Cornish pasties, of course. Cornish pasties, clotted cream. Cornish pasties account for 5% of the Cornish economy, apparently. Yeah, that's true. Which is a lot for yes. one food product. There's a lot of interesting history about the Cornish pasty. People, a lot of it is kind of unconfirmed um, because people don't really know. But there's lots of stories that... Um, for example, it used to contain two flavours. It used to contain a savoury meat-based mm. dish and then a dessert so that the enjoyer was eating. You got two for the yeah. price of one in terms of his meals because it was quite often a packed lunch for people. Packed lunch. Edible packed lunch box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you used to take it down the mine and they used to also used to have it has the crust or the crimp on the side, which is now a kind of legal requirement on a Cornish pasty <laughs> so that they could have their dirty mine fingers their coal or tin or whatever fingers could touch the crust and not touch the bit they're eating and then they can chuck the crust away down mine when uh but i reckon i reckon an old cornish miner back in the day Mm. would not have been too precious about touching his lunch with dirty fingers true and also the crust is the best bit exactly so you know um i learned a good bit of folklore about cornish pasties in cornish um Folklore, there's a type of fairy or sprite type thing called a knocker. Um, which means now that in the research for this episode, I've now Googled Cornish knockers and Somerset gimp. <laughs> and Dorset knobs. <laughs> and Dorset knob, yeah. Um, so the knocker is a, a mythical sub... They say mythical. We don't know that. It's a subterranean gnome-like creature... Uh, described as having, um, it's about two feet tall, with a disproportionately large head, long arms, wrinkled skin, and white whiskers. Mm. Um, wears a tiny version of standard miner's garb, and commits random mischief such as stealing miners' unattended tools and food. Uh. But supposedly they could hear the knockers either singing or t- or talking. Or knocking, and they'd knock on the walls where there was a good 
seam of whatever they're they're mining, um, tin, mm. I think down in, down there, and uh, they so they'd help out the miners. Um, oh, so they were kind of and they were good. They were good mythical, yeah, creatures. mischievous, but mischievous, but helpful. ultimately helpful. Mm. And um, uh, the story goes that so like you, like you said, it was like the miners' wives would pack them a pasty, make them a pasty. And they would put on, what's the word for it, where you just add letters onto something baked, like that, in pastry. But just, yeah. they would, they would mark... With initials on. With yeah. initials, so yeah. that, A, you know, you knew it was his lunch and not his mate's lunch. But also so that, so they'd leave uh, a little bit of the crust for the knockers as a gift mm. with the initials on, or a little bit with the initials on. So they, so the knockers knew... Who had given them a gift? Who had given the gift, and then he can tell him, like, knock, knock, here's a, here's a good scene. Exactly, here's some more tin for you. Yeah. Um, another good Cornish pasty fact. Uh, do you know what a, what a pasty is in the Cornish language? Nope. Oggy. Oggy. Yeah. Oggy, oggy, oggy. Exactly. They used to, they say that oggy, 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 oi, oi, oi. And it can come from Cornish and Welsh because they're, they're very similar languages and there's a lot of mining in both. Yeah. But that comes from miners' wives taking the pasty to them, shouting down the mine, oggy, oggy, oggy. And the men would shout up, oi, 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 to sort of say, we're on our way and we're coming. I see. So that's apparently where it comes from. Could, could be untrue. That's good. But um, There is also quite a long history of Cornish separatism, mm. nationalism. Yes. Um, there's a group in there's a group called Angoff, A N G O F, <laughs> who in 1980 exploded a bomb at the courthouse in St Austell. Um, in 1981, claimed responsibility for a fire at a Penzance hairdressers, which was mistaken for the Bristol, Bristol and West Building Society. <laughs> uh, included fires. In, Claimed responsibility for fires at Bingo Hall in Redruth. Um, explosion, attempted explosion in Camborne. Placing broken glass under the sand at Portrait Beach to quote deter tourists. But um, mm, yeah, all these places are in Cornwall. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is <laughs> like if you want to do a violent campaign against an oppressing force in your mind, you know, bomb oh. them in their place. Don't bomb your lot. In it's your the place. four lines. Mentality, radicalise the moderates. Yeah, bomb the masjid. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Cornish independence movement um, apparently received unexpected publicity in 2004 when, um, you know, Channel 4 did an alternative Christmas message yes. when the Queen's speech is on, King's speech. Yeah. Um, 2004's one featured the Sim- was done by the Simpsons Ooh. and it, featured, it showed Lisa Simpson chanting free Cornwall now. <laughs> And holding a placard saying UK out of Cornwall. <laughs> God. Yeah, for anyone who's not familiar with Cornwall, it's one of the last kind of holdouts in England of the original uh, British population that lived here before the, the English came, basically. So yeah. similar to Wales and Scotland and uh, the Isle of Man. It has a you know an ancient... Traditions and customs that predate the English being here, and that's Celtic why they, culture, yeah, Celtic yeah. culture, and that's why they want to 
get rid of the English. Yeah. Um, Back in the day, I was reading, I can't remember exactly how long ago. Um, let's see if I can find that. Yeah, there was a, um, an Italian scholar, Polidori Virgil, in his famous Anglica Historia, which was published in 1535, wrote, The country of Britain is divided into four parts, whereof one is inhabited of Englishmen, the other Scots, the third of Welshmen, and the fourth of Cornish people. Mm. Correct, I would say. Um, Cornwall is also home to Bodmin Moor, mm. which is a moor, <laughs> um, where one of the many myths and legends associated with Bodmin Moor is the Beast of Bodmin. Yes. Which is a one of many supposed um, British big cats, i.e. Well, Beast of Bodmin, not specifically a big cat, just a giant sort of dark black beast. Unknown animal. But it's been um, associated very much with, or it's been kind of explained. Um, interesting, actually. It sounds like a really ancient legend, but it was only um, in the late 1970s. Uh, there, there are a lot of sightings of panther-like mm. cats in, in yes. the UK, which became like it continues to this day. Um, and lots of mutilated sheep and cattle were found, um, scattering the wilderness of Bodmin Moor. Uh, and then soon after, like, was not long before, the Beast of Bodmin Moor had become like a local legend. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Beast of Exmoor, similar, a farmer reported losing 100 sheep to mysterious throat injuries. Um, and obviously they dressed up the stories a bit. There's a bit of like... Just. disembodied screaming heard <laughs> uh, blood moon rising yeah but um, there's been a recent update in the world of yes. British big cats you're something of an expert on it having written an article yeah. for uh, photos travel photos American travel. company um, um, but, but this was not that recently but I w- was intrigued recently to learn there's been an update, update since your um, piece came out yeah, so this was only like three weeks ago. Long-held rumours of big... This is from Discover Wildlife magazine. The BBC, no less, so it mm. must be true. Long-held rumours of big cats living in Britain have been inflamed by the results of a DNA test, apparently revealing strands of black animal hair from a barbed wire fence belonging to a big cat. Uh, it was collected following a sheep attack on a farm in Gloucestershire in 2022. Um... And a forensic laboratory then analysed it using mitochondrial DNA methods. 99.9% match to the leopard species Panthera pardus. Ooh. Um, there. <clears throat> yeah, and there has been loads of... So, like, they have occasionally found actual bodies of big cats in the UK. Wow. So they found a puma in Scotland uh, in the 80s, I think. Oh, 70s. Wow. And... Um, uh, they found that there's an animal called a Kellis cat, which is like a large wild cat, which they used, which used to be thought was a myth, mm. and they now know that it isn't. Oh. It also lives in Scotland. Um, in 1976, there was uh, this um, bill was brought in, an act the government was brought in called the Dangerous Wild Animals Act, made it illegal to own big cats without a license. Right, so people just let them go and 
Yeah, and so you know, in the sixties and seventies, you can imagine there was a bit of a fad of bringing in yeah <laughs> exotic animals, um, and yeah, it became. Uh, I think there was there was something like there was a gap between you you could they could have them and then it wasn't criminal like it was like they didn't make it illegal to release them into the right. wild <laughs> <laughs> for ages, and so and like we know for a fact that some of them were released into the wild. Um, and it seems likely, and even nowadays, there are a lot of big cats illegally and as pets in the country. And they're thriving in the wild, it seems. So, I reckon it's possible. Mm. Also, my godfather reckons he's seen one. He's, <laughs> he's a West Country man. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, I reckon it's possible, certainly, that occasionally there's either escapees or... But all those escapees from back then would be obviously long dead yes. by now. So, they the question is, were they able to reproduce... Yeah. I just feel like if there's breeding populations of it, I think there'd be more evidence, is my True. feeling. But well, there are lo- there are a lot of sightings. Yeah, a lot of sightings. Is that not enough evidence for you? The um, environmentalist George Monbiot, mm. um, who's a bit of a killjoy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's poo pooed the idea. Yeah, well, what does he know? He claims that um, he cites the lack of physical evidence, such as hairs, scat, scratch marks, and scent, and he argues. The imagined sightings reflect a predator-shaped hole in our tame modern lives and reawaken old genetic memories of conflict with large predatory cats. Mm. So people are just imagining it every single time. Yeah, because they want to... What about the photos? What about the grainy photos? <laughs> and the hair on the... And the hair that's, on the thing. Uh, there's some evidence for you. Yeah. That's, that's obviously one big debate that's going on in the West Country. Uh, and we've talked about another being Cornish nationalism. But really, there's only one debate that we can solve. Um, and that is the cream tea debacle. Yeah. <laughs> do you do it, firstly, do you do it the Cornish way or the Devon way? Well. Cornish being I jam do. first, then cream. Devon being cream first, then jam. On your scone. I do scone, jam, cream. Correct. Same. Is that the Cornish way? That's the Cornish way. Right, okay. So there's proponents of both sides. Basically, it seems in my mind that so the Cornish way basically, and this is why I do it the Cornish way: you get a thin layer of jam, and you can put shit loads of cream on because cream is the best bit. Yeah. But the Devon people are saying that the cream is like butter, and you would never do jam. Yeah. You never do butter then jam then butter on bread. So why are you doing it on? I scone? understand the thinking. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that? It's ba- like received wisdom is that it's from Devon, basically. But Cornwall are making are like pretenders to the throne, sort of thing. I think potentially, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Devon doesn't have much to. It's a lovely place, but it doesn't have much to brag about. <laughs> you go for it on the way to Cornwall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll let them have that. I think. Well, well, you're gonna uh, you're gonna disagree with I no person the... less than the old Queen of England who does it the Cornwall way. Uh, yeah, well, I do it the Cornwall way. <laughs> yeah, I'm disagreeing with myself. <laughs> I'm not saying it should be illegal to do it that way, but I just think Devon maybe are the originators of the cream tea. So they get, based on no evidence. They get this one, but we'll keep doing it however we want. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Cornwall does, however, lay... Cle- well, a Cornish dish, another Cornish dish... Mm. Are you aware of stargazy pie? Yes. It's that pie where 
Uh, it's a sardine pie or a mm. pilchard pie, as they yeah. know in those parts. And there are pilchards, sardines, sticking out of it, out of the crust. Head and tail. Well, yeah. traditionally just head, I think. Yeah. Staring at the stars. Um, but yeah, celebrity chef Rick Stein suggests also poking the pilchards' tails through the pie crust mm. to give the effect of leaping through water. Ah, uh, okay. That's a modern innovation. I don't, don't. I've never tried it. I would like to try it. I love um, those kind of oily fish. I love pie. Yeah. Uh, the innards, I think, is, pie, is sardines, potatoes, and boiled eggs. Nice. And do they take the skin off of the sardines below the surface of the crust? Or is it... I don't know. Yeah. Let's give it a go. Uh, I reckon it's bits of sardine meat inside the pie. Yeah, and just put the heads out the top. Have you heard of a graveyard pie? No. It's it's a very similar vibe um, from, again, the West Country. It's not really made anywhere anymore, but it used to be that they made a dish out of snipe or woodcock, which are kind of small marshland birds with quite big feet and big beaks. And they used to lay them down in, the, in a pie dish on their backs with their feet and beak poking up so that when you laid the pie crust over them, you just saw these little heads and little feet poking up through the pie dish and they called it a graveyard pie because it looked like just bodies. Interesting. Right. Yeah, I suppose yeah. you wouldn't eat the feet, would you anyway? So. No. Yeah. Although chicken feet is nice. Mm. Um, something else... There's another natural feature of Bodmin Moor besides the beast of Bodmin, <laughs> which, is, which is real. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, the highest point of Bodmin Moor is a hill called Brown Willy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Brown Willy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Brown Willy is uh, regarded as a sacred mountain by members of the Aetherius Society. Ooh which is a UFO religion founded in 1954 (laughs) by George King. Um, They believe that Brown Willie was charged with holy energy on 23rd of November, which they they celebrate each year as charging day, (laughs) and they do a pilgrimage. Um, And George King was... He's worth looking up. He's, he claimed that he was a... So he claimed that in 1954, a voice told him, prepare yourself, you are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he would later... Um, so he's referred to by the society as an author, inventor, metaphysician, occultist, prophet, psychic, spiritual healer, spiritual leader, teacher, yogi, and Aquarian master. Ooh. Uh, was lavished with innumerable titles, degrees, and honours from unorthodox sources. Um, the American radio personality Long John Nabel had him as a guest in his show and later wrote, George, King of England, is what he calls himself. And you can't be sure whether he's pausing after George or King. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, because after three minutes you get the idea strong and clear. Yeah, he claimed one of his inventions was the spiritual energy battery. Okay. Which um, apparently can... Hold a charge of spiritual energy for an indefinite period. When connected to a spiritual energy radiator, it can be discharged. Um, but sadly, its precise design and composition are not in the public domain. Mm. And apparently, officially, his so he, he styled himself as Sir George King, among other titles. But they specify that the knighthood was not from Britain, but from an unspecified foreign source. <laughs> <laughs> 
He sounds mental. Yeah. <laughs> Bodmin Moor is also the home of a, a man called Arthur Boyd, who was a subject in, I think it was 2008, um, something like that, 2009, of uh, a BBC documentary called The Man Who Eats Badgers and Other Strange mm. Tales from Bodmin Moor. And he basically was a guy, he's, he's like a slightly eccentric older man, lived in the middle of nowhere in Bodmin Moor, and he used to eat roadkill. Um, and I remember watching it when it came out, and it's interesting, like, back then, I feel like now, if it, it wouldn't be that shocking a programme like that. Yeah. But obviously some people would find it weird. But, like, he had, like, you know, he would literally eat anything he found on the side of the road, so, like, dogs, which is his favourite to eat. Um, badgers, obviously. Yeah. Um, just anything. But he... So apparently he liked most of it, but uh, he described swan as muddy, bat as odd, and he said that fox tastes like it smells, a mixture of diesel and onions. Oh, <laughs> that's gross. But he had a... He, he was... There was like an ideology behind his... There were some principles behind his... Mm thing of eating roadkill, which he he hated farmed meat and the idea of killing an animal. Right, but if it was already dead. Yeah, and what's wrong yeah. with that? And he said, yeah. he said, what a race of spoilt fusspots we've become, uh, demanding to know why Britons were so revolted by a rabbit garnished from the roadside that had grown up eating grass and wildflowers, mm. the epitome of an organic existence, and yet are perfectly happy to consume beef that's been standing all winter in its own excrement, fed on heavily fertilised fodder, supplemented with growth hormones and injected with antibiotics. Good point. He's got a very valid point. Uh, as a romantic gesture, he gave up eating dog in 1996 when he married his second wife, Sue, a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> but their marriage was still tested by the prank callers who rang up at 2am, pretending to be the ghosts of animals Boyd had eaten, and by the badger heads who always had bubbling on the stove. Ooh. But um, sadly, Arthur Boyd uh, passed away this in, in July this year. Oh, well, um, is that, these are good innings, okay. Oh, yeah, he was oh, in his 80s. in his 80s. Um, and I think he's a legend on reflection. So yeah, good for him. Let's raise a glass to Arthur Boyd. Glass of cider. Got anything else you want to say? Uh, Probably save the UFO stuff for another time. Yeah, yeah, definitely got to do the alien episode. We should do the alien episode, yeah, because we need to talk about the Mexican aliens as well. Yes. What? Did you see that? What? Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cake. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cake. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah um, I've got nothing else no that's fine we've done an hour yeah alright well on that note um, R.I.P. Arthur and thanks for listening um, tell your friends tell your friends give us a like give us a review reviews have dried up <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next time bye, bye.